Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, beauty editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Zoe Foster-Blake, the founder and chief creative officer of The Go-To and Grow-To. Welcome, Zoe. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, Zoe, take us back a little bit. The Go-To is an Australian beauty brand. It was founded in 2014. Yes. But you recently moved into the U.S. last year. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about what was happening back in 2014 with the Australian customer and kind of how you parlayed that to the U.S. Yes. Very different markets. I'll say that straight out of the gate. Uh, So I was a beauty editor in magazines for a long time and a blogger and had written a beauty tips and tricks book. And what I'd found is that women were very, very confused by skincare and intimidated and frustrated. And having been on the beauty editor side, I tried and tested so many things over so many years and I felt I was confident in knowing what worked. I also felt confident that there was a lot of rubbish out there, a lot of marketing and hype and bullshit. Um, And so... I saw a gap for something that was really uncomplicated, really simple, that would act as women's trustworthy, fail-safe, foolproof skincare line. Um, I knew that the Australian customer in particular was not very confident looking after her skin and not very informed. And this, again, this was like 2012, 13 when I was coming up with this. Very different time now with Instagram, YouTube. There's so much information out there and I think the consumer is really, really informed, which is excellent. But back then I was still acting as a vessel for them. So GoTo is a brand that is about hand-holding, making women feel like they can trust what we're putting out there, that it's simple and they feel confident looking after their skin. The American market does not feel like that (laughs) at all to us. Um, First of all, it's highly saturated, very noisy. There's some amazing brands doing incredible things here. And when um, back in 2014 in Australia, we were direct to consumer. So that was a pretty big deal back there. No one was really doing that. You would The normal path would be get a retailer in a department store and sell that way. But I had a big, you know, being a blogger for so long, I had a big digital following and I'd been a beauty editor. So I think I'd built up trust and I felt confident going, guys, trust me, I've worked really hard on this and you can pick up a box from the mail, from the post office and know that what you put on your face will be safe. Please believe me. And they did. And I'm so grateful. <laughs> so Zoe, wait, tell us a little bit more because I feel like, you know, we talk about clean all the time here on this podcast yes. in our in our articles on Glossy. Um, you obviously were talking about it back then too, but you know, you think about it and you were doing it before so many of these other brands, probably around the same time as, you know, Drunk Elephant, Tim yeah. Masterson was doing it, who just got sold for nearly oh a billion gosh, dollars. Yeah. So, you know, when you come to the U.S. and yeah. you're coming here with this proposition that was so successful and so wanted in Australia, and then you're here and you're like, wait, <laughs> everybody's doing it. Everybody's trying to be yeah. a clean brand. How do you stand out? And doing it really well. Well, interestingly, we don't really pitch ourselves as a clean skincare brand. Back in Australia, it's almost second or third. The first thing we are is simple, uncomplicated and effective. And it's that cut through of going, um, this is, these are words you can understand and you'll know how to apply this product. So we fit the clean category because we don't have anything in there that irritates the skin. But the reason, in all honesty, that I did that, and there's no way that this can't sound obnoxious, but I, um, I just realized if I was going to be sending out skincare to people that they hadn't tried in the store or sampled or patch tested, it had to be really, really safe. And so I, with my formulator, we worked together to make sure that there was nothing in the skin that would piss it off. That was basically, I was like, I don't want anything in there that would piss off their skin. I don't want people using it, getting red, inflamed, horrible rashes. Like, let's just 
save ourselves a big headache and make everything really, really safe. So safe was more the word that I went to rather than clean. Um, there wasn't a deliberate, earnest sort of, oh, I must keep these terrible things out of the product. I just wanted it to be safe. And and because of that, we've now got a huge customer base that is sensitive skin because these products are so um, nourishing and soothing and, and they soothe inflammation because we just took those things out that didn't do that. So it was a byproduct, not the main reason we did it. I remember when you landed in Sephora around last year, last summer, you know, a lot of people on social media in the U.S. really kind of compared (laughs) you to the glossiers of the world, you know, friendly packaging, you know, really like blogger, influencer centric in that way. And again, minimal, but powerful in, in your branding and marketing. How did you kind of carve out your space here when you were getting those kind of comparisons to brands who came after you and also to these clean brands? Like, what did you have to do to kind of position yourself differently here? Still working on it. <laughs> I mean, first of all, to be compared to Glossier in any way is just hugely flattering. Um, but I, th- I think we're very different. I think Glossier is phenomenal. I think everything they do is so clever and brilliant and 10 steps ahead. Um, What we've now got to do, you know, we've been here for a year. I feel like a little player. We are still a little indie brand from Australia on a big wall for very, very established, big, shiny, glossy brands. And I think what our job is now is to make sure that we're not just the clean brand, but we're the no frills, foolproof, trusty brand that you can go to. And I think the the way to cut through is our two best-selling products, both here in Australia, are our face oil and our mask. And both of them are for the sensitive skin, like skin that is bitchy, misbehaving, upset. You've had a procedure, your sunburn, whatever it is, when your skin has a problem, you turn to go to. So I guess it's my job to make sure that I'm here getting that message out going, yeah, we're clean. That's one element of it. But also we're just, we're we play well with others. You know, you can use your high strengths, you can use your glycolics, get your Botox, get your needling, but then come to us for that nourishing and that barrier repair that you always need to complement with those things. It's going to take a while. I know that. Like we're very big in Australia and we're very lucky. We have a wonderful retailer there now, Mecca, who's just been so enthusiastic about us and, and we're doing really well there. But we now have to try and figure out who our audience is here and how we can talk to them and build up that amazing loyalty and, and community that we have and we're so grateful for in Australia. Um, So Zoe, in the US, you're found largely at Sephora in physical retail. Yes. Are you looking for other retail partners? Are you interested in other large-scale national partnerships? Because when you talk about, you know, that you are for sensitive skin and that you are kind of for the eczema, uh, for the customer with eczema to the customer who's using, you know, needling and Botox, I mean, that opens you up to competition with, you know, Aquaphor Avino, like all of these other brands who kind of target that yeah. as well. Yeah, well, again, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it, that, that has, we've become that because of our customer reviews and feedback. And so I think this is a constant thing. It's going, should we pivot to that? Because that's what we're best known for. Like that's the feedback that's overwhelming. Or are we going to stay true to who we are, which is like your most reliable, best friend, uncomplicated skincare partner. Um, so when we do start to look for new retailers, I think we want to have um, someone that understands that and can caretake us. Because uh, one of our, my favorite thing is to people, is, is to hold their hand. And to like in Australia, I say that we're not really taking customers from other brands. We're creating new skincare customers. These are women who've never tried a sheet mask or a face oil uh, or worn SPF. And we are saying, hey, 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 
It's really easy and it can be fun. Let's do this together. We're going to make it really simple for you. Let's get you into skincare in a way that is fun and enjoyable and easy. So I guess for us now is to find, you know, a, a retail partners or affiliates that go, okay, that we have a spot for that. We have a spot for a brand that is really well-priced, that is really clean, plant-based and can work in with really luxurious, premium, high-strength acids or anything else that women want to choose to use on their face. What are your thoughts on your relationship to DSC and retail today? Because I know you obviously started Digitally First in 2014. That was one of your huge selling points in kind of creating this audience, creating this yes. um, fan base, this mm. customer base. But, you know, we talk about this a lot on, at Glossy and on the Glossy Beauty podcast, just kind of the erosion, I guess, of the D2C market and how, you know, once digitally native players are really needing to become omni-channel and have those partners. So what's your take? Yeah, I, I think, well, we stayed D2C for five years and I we didn't have to go into retail. And that was a real testament, I think, to our that customer base that we have, who we love playing with. And I do use the word playing with because from the minute she's on our site to her order confirmations to how she receives a product, it's fun. There's surprise and delight. There are jokes. It's meant to be an enjoyable experience. One of the things about being a beauty editor is that I thought it was so earnest and so serious and so intimidating. And there was real fun lacking in beauty. Women are allowed to enjoy this daily ritual that they do twice a day and not feel like it's a chore or an obligation. So I have, whoever we were going to retail with had to understand that that was a huge pillar for us, but also the education, the hand-holding and somewhere, you know, that was a beauty-only environment. So in Australia, we're with Mecca, which is a, an incredible beauty retailer. There's over 100 stores and we have like four products in the top 10. It's bananas. We're going really well there. And I think, I think we found that something like 20% um, of go-to Mecca purchases during the first launch month were people who have never been into Mecca before. So I think that we brought a a digital audience in store, which we thought we might always do. Um, I do think you need to have both though. I think we wanted to really establish ourselves. I think people do ultimately like to be able to go and play with the skincare product before they buy it. And if we can give them that opportunity, beautiful. What's your percentage of physical retail sales versus D2C sales, both in Australia and in here in the US? Uh, so in Australia, it's about 50% retail now already, which is huge considering it's only been six months. And in America, it's about 80% in store and about 20 D2C. So who's that customer? Is Like you mentioned about with Mecca, you know, it's a, a new customer coming into their stores. So who are you finding your customer like demographic, psychographically, both in stores and then obviously... D to C. Here or both? Yeah. Um, I, oh, look, it's a really tough one because I think sometimes when you're so, because uh, I'm in control of all the branding and marketing, I'm talking to a person that may not even be the person who's buying it. And so we have to rely on feedback and customer, you know, interaction for that. But I think who she is, is someone who, well, in Australia, like we're quite minimalist with beauty. We're not really down to do 12 steps. We like to keep it simple. And that's, you know, that's just how we've always been. That's our lifestyle and we're outdoorsy. And, you know, all those cliches are kind of true. Um, so back in Australia, you know, she's probably just got three or four key products and she's she's using them and she's absolutely fine. In America, I think the customer is slightly different. I think she's probably more reliant on on really good advocation from the press or influencers, um, and she's going to bring in one key product from our range to try that with all of us. Whereas in Australia, we have a lot of people who are a go-to brand heavy, like they're using four products a day from the range. But here, like our face hero, our face oil, our best-selling product is the one that 
most people bring in and it gets the most press and it's the bestseller and it's got the five-star reviews. That's fine. I'm happy to have a hero product. If you get one on the board, that's amazing. What's your take on um, your influencer strategy and kind of working with influencers here in the US? Yeah, really different to Australia. We don't really work with influencers in Australia. We're lucky enough to, to not really need to. But in America, it's a very different model. Um, so we've hand-selected a handful just recently um, to openly pay and, and, and work with for content. And we chose people that were had a really engaged audience who were constantly always talking about skin anyway. Um, it wasn't going to be something new for them and who would be representative of our brand in terms of going, I use this product because it fits well with my other products and it's easy and it's great. So we don't try and make it too fancy. We just go, this is a person who really likes it and she's using it and here's how she uses it. What's your take on product expansion? You know, in Australia, you sell tinted moisturizer, which could obviously kind of be parlayed in the color cosmetics arena. Is color cosmetics something that you are interested in or for product expansion? Are you really focused on that skincare model? Absolutely not. I think I think this is a time of specificity and I believe that the people who are doing makeup these days are doing it really well and they're doing it wholeheartedly and they're in there with 40 shades and that's what we need. Me, I'm skincare. I feel confident making skincare. I know what I'm doing. I enjoy it. So rather than moving into colour cosmetics or even hair at this point, we've launched a children and baby line and we have a men's line in Australia that we're about to redo. So for me, I'm like, you know, stay in your lane, do what you do well. It's not to say that we wouldn't do, you know, a tinted lip balm or something, you know, vaguely with some some mineral content in it. But I love skincare and I'm doing skincare. Talk to us a little bit about Grow2 because that is a baby line, but also kids and baby. But we've seen a lot of other beauty brands kind of dabble in the space, whether it's, you know, Shantikai, who Mm. has a very luxurious uh, (laughs) women's product and also baby. And, you know, you're another one, but it seems to be very positioned very differently for you. Oh, yeah, definitely. So Grow2 is our, yeah, it's safe for newborns right through to big kids. And and how it came about was because I was using my own face oil and moisturizer on my rashy little two-year-old who kept getting eczema and redness and flash, you know, rashes. So uh, it kind of occurred to me um, when I was using my own grown-up skincare products on my child's rashy you know, flaky skin uh, over any product on the market that there was probably a gap there. And so that was three years ago. Now I have two children and of course my second came through and she was just as rashy. But I thought, you know, I want to use go-to products on my children because I trust them, I know what's in them and I know that they're going to soothe the inflammation rather than flare it up. And I thought, if I'm doing that, what are other parents using? What's out there? What's out there for kids? Like baby market, saturated, there's lots. But also most of the products are either pharmacy brands or they're really targeted to babies. So they've got like little baby ducks on them or something. My five-year-old, he doesn't want a product with a baby duck on it. And anything that's white and too chemisty or pharmacy-like, it feels like an interruption from grown-up land. So I made the products and when you see them, you'll see it. They look like toys. They're brightly coloured. They have faces. They're friendly. And I wanted kids to have ownership over that. I wanted them to feel like this was something that they were doing and they started to look after their bodies. But mostly I just thought if we can make that fun and the parents know that the products are really clean, they're actually going to help with their skin – it's a win-win. And we've had amazing feedback. You know, kids are like taking the products to school in their bag with them. And we've got this product called Bad Dream Buster. That's a lavender room spray. But we've had stories of kids with like chronic anxiety and teeth grinding and night terrors spraying this in their room before bed and being able to sleep through for the first time. So it's the story of the product line for the kids. They love that. And I, I think there was a genuine gap. And, and, and being here in the States, 
it's had a way bigger pickup than, you know, GoTo because it does truly feel innovative to people. So GoTo is also just D2C for now. For now. And I've read that you all have a 12,000 person wait list for that product already. Yeah, we did. So before we launched in Australia. So what's your approach to retail there? Because it seems like this is a huge opportunity within beauty and personal care that isn't being solved for. Yeah, I agree. Um, I just, I'm pausing it though. I think we do a really good job of D2C. We're really experienced. We're fast. Our customer service is phenomenal. So I really, I want to stay with that for a little while. I want to make the experience really special for people. And then when the right retailer presents itself, we'll be open to that. But for now, just D2C. You know, in my opinion, it seems in terms of the retail set, it seems like this line especially could be in, you know, 2000 doors, whether it's yeah. a Target, yeah. you know, because they've obviously really relied on digitally native brands to create newness and beauty and personal yeah. care and essentials. So what would you look for in a partnership in that regard? That's a really good question. And um, I think we need to better understand the American market and what we're able to deliver because we are still a pretty small brand. And, you know, if we were to go in Target and they had like, you know, how many doors and, and what that production, like how that would, you know, it would really push us. We've already had to upscale our production hugely back home. And so for us, there's other literally logistical and manufacturing considerations with that. Some of our ingredients are really hard to get and, and they take a long time. So there are other considerations as well. And so choosing a retailer that big, that would be a huge decision. Not necessarily a bad one, just needs to be one we're ready for. So... So you guys are still self-funded. Yeah. And it seems like you're at a point, especially now with the U.S. market, that funding, whether private equity, VC money, would really start to make sense. What's your take on that? It's so funny because I really, in Australia, it doesn't really happen. It, it's not really even, a, it doesn't really happen. It, it's certainly not for me. Like it's just, there's not really that kind of money around there for people to do those big cash injections. And I I like being private and independent, and that's where we're happy to stay for a while. We have enough um, innovation capital to keep growing and to keep up, I think. I think we're okay in that sense, and that would be the only thing I'd be looking for money for. But, um, yeah, it's just not it's just not something we're looking into. It's, but I'm sure you've been approached. Yes, we have. And and it was actually it was when we went into retail that that started to really happening, which makes me see how investors look at the dual, you know, DTC with the retail as well. You know, it's important to have both. So, Zoe, you're approaching 80% year-over-year growth um, as a private company. And so what do you think is driving that growth? Is it is it advertising? Is it new product? Like, what is kind of the path forward? I wish it was new product. Unfortunately, our NPD is pretty slow because our products are so clean that they're pretty disobedient. But we do have a big year plan next year. I think, uh, honestly, it's probably going to come down to two things. One is our organic word of mouth, like people who love the product talk about the product. We have always had a wonderful um, loyal audience on Instagram who want to photograph it and talk about it. You can't ask for more. And then I think going into retail was huge for us as well because we had the endorsement of both Sephora here and uh, Mecca in Australia and that validation and that nod that they chose us was a big one. And so now we have them doing you know, some of the marketing heavy lifting for us and letting people know about us. And, and that's definitely helped growth. How are you supporting that kind of in-store education piece? Because I know that, um, especially when you're dealing with about 400 <laughs> stores here in Sephora, people really have to, brands really have to, you know, have people training their sales associates and training their teams. You're a one, you're one <laughs> woman, you're yes. one founder, and you're in Australia. How yes. do you support that? Oh, it's hard. It's hard. And, and we have only been here for a year, and we knew that America would be a big 
piece of pie. And uh, I think it's going to take us a little while to really, to really, really see some results from that. Um, but I think, you know, the, the point of Sephora, that Sephora is so big and we are so little and it is really hard to make noise uh, when you're in another country <laughs> about that. So in a funny way, look, I reckon Grow To is a really amazing opportunity for us to start fresh in terms of like, all right, now we have a chance to really establish ourselves as a brand. And of course, with that, Grow To, people will learn about Go To as well. So it's almost like the reverse of Australia. Everyone trusts Go uh, Grow To because of Go To, but here I reckon we might have a better chance with Grow To and then people turning to Go To and go, oh, they do grown up stuff as well. That's really cool. So we, 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 I don't have a firm answer for that. I just think we have to keep at it. I think education is key. I think, you know, not having a profile here is definitely, I need to fix that. <laughs> I need to work that. Um, and I'm, I'm willing to, you know, we, we're really serious about America. Do you see a lot of overlap? I know it's only been about a month, but do you see a lot of overlap with your go-to and grow-to customer? You know, is it the same woman who is loving your skincare products that are using it on her kids or is it a totally new customer? I think it's de- at this point definitely the same woman because she tells us, she's like, I loved your products. It helped my skin. It was so obvious that I was going to get it for my kids. I was using the oil on my son anyway. So we have that that feedback now that it was, and that was what I always thought, but now my job is to make sure that people who don't know or care about go-to can find grow-to independently, even of me, but of go-to as well, because I think it does stand alone. It's really strong. Beyond the influencer partnerships that you mentioned earlier in the conversation, are you looking at other tactics within marketing or advertising? You know, I know we've talked a little bit about this before, about the erosion in D2C and how, you know, customer acquisition costs are getting more and more expensive. So, and we hear that a lot from digitally native brands. Mm. So, I mean, are you thinking about out of home? Are you thinking about, you know, community efforts? Are you thinking about, you know, mailers? What's, what's, what's the possibilities? So in Australia, we do a fair bit of out of home and we love those customer touch points. But here, I think what we're going to try and get into is a bit more of the affiliate stuff. I think that makes sense. And I think it's a, it's a, almost like a shortcut to go, look, we know this is going to work because everyone wins. So I'd be looking to, to do a bit more of that. And do you think it would be on top of, you know, the content piece that you're already doing with influencers? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm really excited about influencers. Like on this trip, I've met so many of them. And I think that face-to-face is so critical. Yes, I live like 24 hours away and it's hard to get here. But when I do, it's so, so worth it. These girls, they're amazing. They're hardworking. They're really invested. And I think they're a really important mouthpiece when I can't be here to get our brand out there and to get people to trust us and to try us. How do you feel about um, the kind of wave that we're in right now where female founder-led beauty brands or personal care brands are so important? You know, we mentioned Tiffany and Drug Elfin a second ago. She has really been loud and proud in the press, on social media. You know, what are the challenges of that for yourself? You know, being the face, being <laughs> the, the creative agent behind the brand, but also having to position yourself on that in marketing and social. Well, as like as founder and CCO, that is it's all coming from me anyway. So there's no I create all the products and all the marketing executions are from my brain and then we roll them out. So there can't be anything that I wouldn't have already thought about and marinated before it gets out there. That's why like when people ask for a certain product, like say an eye cream, the customer seat do an eye cream. I can't do that. doesn't feel like I don't use one. I don't believe in them. <laughs> so anything that we're putting to market that I'm gonna advocate publicly, I've 
probably been working on for two or three years already. I'm really passionate about and I'm really excited to go out there and talk about it. It's uh, You've got to be proud of what you're doing and that's through everything, not just new product but your staff, your team, your customer service, your social impact, all of these things are top of my mind every single day because I'm the I'm doing all the inner workings. I'm still very granular in the company but I'm also the one who's going to be out there and I'm going to get the hits and I'm going to get the praise. So, yeah, it's big. It's big. What about product innovation for 2020? What can you tell us? I know there's a lot in the pipeline, but what can you share today? Yeah, so we are, um, we're not a keep up with company. We are a company that is based on essentials. It was always intended to be a kit that was super useful and super streamlined. I'm a, a mom who travels a lot with two young children. Anything that I take with me has to has to work. I got no time for things that don't work and waste my time and money. So whatever we do um, is, is created to be really useful. There's no filler. The next product we have coming out is a cleansing oil. It's something that's you know, it's a very popular category, but um, because we make zinc products back home, I felt like we owed it to our audience to be able to get that zinc off really, really properly. And also, you know, I'm nearly 40 now and my skin's changed. So look, in honesty, probably like as a total narcissist, everything we make is something that I really want to make and I want to use personally. If I feel like, you know, I'm using a hydrating mask on the market, but it's not quite hitting it, or I think I could do a better job of it or add a certain ingredient, like an Australian botanical say, then that's what we work on. So we're not about doing, you know, super trendy products or anything like that, or looking at what's going on in the market and copying. We're about just the useful stuff, just the essentials. Straight and narrow. Pretty much. I mean, that's not to say that they're boring. It's just that they're they're useful. I want them to be timeless. I want them. I want you to be using them in ten years' time. So, a last question. You know, you mentioned something about the cleanser category just a second ago with your new cleansing oil. That seems to be a category that's ripe for disruption because it <laughs> seems like so many people don't think about you know what they're washing their face with or what they're cleaning their face with, but they are so invested in that eye cream, in that moisturizer, in that anti-aging serum. Why do you think that is within cleansers? I, look, it's a real, you didn't even mention the part where they're putting on 12 layers of makeup. Like, so if you think about how women are educated in terms of putting all these 12 steps of skincare and then putting on primer and then foundation and baking, there is so much going on in the face and I just don't think it's coming off properly. So our original mousse cleanser, which is a bestseller, is called Properly Clean because it properly cleans your face. But I found even me, I was having to double cleanse with it when I was using a, you know, a full strength zinc product and then my makeup on top of that. So yeah, I believe you can choose all the makeup in the world and you can watch all the tutorials, but if your skin is in not, you know, if it's not in good shape underneath and that's going to come from cleansing, exfoliating and protection, then don't waste your money. So yeah, cleansing is hugely ripe for education, I think. I think there are a lot of young girls that are wearing so much makeup and they're not taking it off properly. So this will cater to that. This is a, you know, a full strength makeup removal product, but it's also super nourishing. Um, it's not a new thing. Like they're out there already, but I believe the go-to take on it will be beautiful. Do you think that customers are going to start paying more attention to the cleansing category? I hope so. And I think, again, our customer, like before she tried our face oil, probably never used one. Sheet masks, what's that? So we're really good at educating them and bringing them into a new category and showing them. And I did that for years as a beauty editor. It was my job to go, hey, this is what, you know, gel nail polish is. Let's all learn about it together. So I love the challenge of going, you have never used a face oil in your life. You're terrified of them. You don't understand them. You've got oily skin. This doesn't make any sense. I'm going to show you how to do it and why it works. So I look forward to the challenge with cleansing oil. (laughs) Thank you so much, Zoe. It was great having you. My super duper pleasure. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.